Hey guys, what is going on? We are in the zone. Anthony Pinello is uh, unfortunately absent today, but I am here. Chris Martelli with Giancarlo Alino, and we're going to start this one off fairly, fairly simple. We're going to start it off with the t- the first ten Raptors games and basically our observations. You know, they're two and eight. Alino, it hasn't been very, very positive to start the season. But if you've had to maybe mention a couple positives out of the first ten, what do you think they would be? Oh, Fred Van Fleet, uh, looking like he is uh, living up to his contract a little bit. Uh, Pascal Siakam picking it up. He was struggling early on the last two, three games. Uh, we're starting to see signs of the old Pascal that we saw during the regular season last year, that all-star. And Lowry still taking charges at his age, going in front of guys and putting his body on the line for the team. So I think that's positive. I just think that the rest of the guys need to pick it up like OG, uh, Terrence Davis. Uh, some of the role players need to really step up, especially the new centers they brought in. I'd like to see more of Aaron Baines play and show signs of what we saw of him last year. So uh, I think the bigs are their biggest concern right now. Oh, yeah, 100%. I agree there. Um, in regards to the bigs, we all know that Baines and uh, Len have really struggled out of the gate. We all know that they're not really... I mean, Baines last year, I think, converted on 37% of threes, but Alex Len is not a three-point shooter. Um, is it safe to say that any time now, Chris Boucher will steal the starting center job? Oh, yeah. I think he is really well-rounded. The only thing is, like, you look at his body, he'd probably be a lot better suited, maybe in Pascal's position. If they want to go smaller, they can even put Siakam at the center. Uh, you can even put him at small forward. I think he's uh, really mobile. It's just like when you match up with some of the bigger centers, like an Anthony Davis, or uh, you go on Houston. Let's say you're going to be pushing and shoving with DeMarcus Cousins. Philly, you got Embiid. I think there might be a mismatch there. So I'd like to see Boucher maybe bulk up a little bit. He doesn't have to be Hulk Hogan, but, you know, clang and bang in the gym, be a little bigger. I think uh, with his skill set, he'll be able to surprise a lot of guys uh he'll be able to play make for his point guard spread the floor a bit so overall though i think boucher is on his way to being that starter for the raptors yeah i agree there i think chris boucher has been one of the more underrated gems this season in the nba you look at a lot of guys that have improved like randall's improved tremendously uh terry rosier is looking a lot better this year but chris boucher He's looking like a, a much more motivated player. He now finally understands that without Serge Ibaka and Marcus Saul, he's going to play a lot more, and the confidence is there. Again, he has gained a bit of weight. He's not really, he's not like slim, slim duck like last year or two years ago when he was like 185. Now he's probably like 220, but he's got to put on a little more muscle, like you said, and I feel like the shots are going to come. His three-point shooting ability as a center is... Pretty damn good. Uh, he's got to get a little more confident, though. But if he bulks up and he can maybe, you know, handle guys like Joel Embiid down the line, maybe handle those really, really big dominant centers, then the Raps could maybe be in better shape. But, yeah, I don't know what's going on with OG. I think he's probably the biggest guy that I'm looking at and he has to step up. Uh, Kyle Lowry is another guy as well. You know, you look at what he's been able to do year in and year out and I don't know for me he kind of just it feels like he's come in a little bit flatter than usual this season uh Fred Van Fleet's been a highlight but um even Siakam the last three four games his playmaking is looking uh he's looking a lot more confident in that category so if if Pascal Siakam continues to drive the paint if he continues to you know be that you know improving playmaker then I don't see I don't see the Raptors having a losing record for much longer. We all know it's two and eight. It's a big hole right now. Um, but I don't see this team not making the postseason. A lot of guys that I know have already kind of like they wrote them off for the whole year, which is kind of funny. But we all know how the Toronto expectations are. But I guess I'll ask this out, you know, um, now that the Raps are two and eight, the next 10 games, I think, are probably one of the bit one of the biggest, biggest. It's one of the most important times in the year. If you're Nick Nurse. And you have to maybe do a mismatch, maybe put OG or Siakam at the five just to maybe get a little more offense. Are you doing that or are you sticking with the red hot Boucher at the five for now? Yeah, I'd keep Boucher just uh, for now. But 
uh, going on, like as a game goes on, you probably want to put OG at the four, Siakam at the five, and go small ball because, like, the one luxury they have is Aaron Baines is on a contract where he's making a lot of money this year, but it's the team option for the next year. So you're not really cap tied to him. So even if he does not the do the greatest or live up to it next year, you can easily get rid of that salary. So uh, right now, keep what you have with Boucher. Don't overdo it because. If he starts to struggle, then you might be screwed down the line. But keep his progress up. Make sure he gets the ball. Uh, have a pick and roll with Lowry going on. Kind of like what they did with JV when he came in. Like, make sure he's involved throughout. You don't want to make him go unnoticed because then once he gets his shots, one or two doesn't go down, he might like be hard on himself. So uh, continue to have him be involved in the, act, in the play going on. Be a playmaker because I think something that he does well is like stretching the floor out so right now with og struggling maybe that will change things around if you have them at the four but uh right now go with those guys and then uh third fourth quarter when it's uh crunch time as a way to surprise the teams go small ball yeah i like that as well um we haven't really talked a lot about the the bench the bench last year was unreal for the raptors and this year it's not looking it's not looking so good like terrence davis has not kind of looked like the Terrence Davis from last year, Matt Thomas, all of a sudden, I don't know if it's the confidence issues again, but he's barely been playing. We've seen a lot more Stanley Johnson recently. Um, I guess, what are your thoughts on, on the, on the Raptors bench this season compared to last? Yeah, it's looking rough right now. Uh, I thought Terrence Davis would be a lot better. Like last year he was playing well up until I guess the playoffs when they went in the bubble. I don't know what happened to him, but like, he's a guy last year that looked like this could be a real steal for this team. Uh, Matt Thomas, too, his three-point game is amazing. His shot selection was amazing. Uh, looked like he was getting more of an opportunity. And then, for whatever reason, just started to slump. Uh, wasn't getting the kind of shots down that he would usually get. His defensive end game is kind of puts him at a liability if they put him in longer. So, I just think they need to be invested overall in all aspects and then once they eventually get in we'll see flashes of what guys like Norman Powell did when he came into the league and he kind of came became like a important player so I think Terrence Davis and Matt Thomas need to follow Norm Powell's lead uh, if they want to be successful in this league yeah I agree with that as well um, I still think that the bench is a work in progress last year it was a lot more proven and I think the chemistry was there for sure this year you have Stanley Johnson again a guy that was a first-round pick, I think a top-ten guy, actually, for Detroit. Never really panned out. I think the confidence is there for Stanley right now. He's played, I think, the most out of any guy off the bench. Him and TD and Powell are, like, the big three guys off the bench. But I love Malaki Flynn. I think Nick Nurse still has a lot of research. And, um, you know, he has to watch Malaki Flynn, I think, a lot more. Malaki's 21. He was an overaged rookie coming in this season. You know, he got drafted pretty damn late. But he's looking like a steal. He looks like maybe a little Freddie Van Fleet. You even have a guy like Yuta Watambe who can, like, he's a great defensive player. If guys like Len are not, like, showing up on a consistent night, you could put Watambe up there. Um, but, yeah, the guy for me that has to improve is Matt Thomas. This guy, if you're, for the most part, when you're the Raptors, they either shoot lights out from three and they torch you or they shoot horrendously. And when they're shooting horrendously, Nick Nurse has to put Matt Thomas in the game a lot more. We've, we've seen actually this year uh, Norman Powell from three has been amazing, 42%. But inside the arc, he's shooting like 31%. I think that's just teams figuring out the small ball and putting Powell at the three. It's a mismatch. He's a he's already, I think he's only six foot four Powell. So he's an undersized three for sure. So I guess teams are figuring that out. But in terms of last season, Powell also has a lot of, improving to do because last year we saw I think he averaged 16 points this year only 10 so he's got to pick it up but uh I, I really I'm, I'm not really worried about this team I think it's it's all come down to when you lose key players like Serge and Kawhi and Gasol and you lose all these guys over the years especially with the same coach and Nick Nurse it's gonna fuck things up and and the chemistry is gonna change and all that so I think I still think Nick Nurse he has a lot to to he has a lot to work on and um, I think the plays, they have to start coming more and more. And this guy, like Nick Nurse, I love him. He won coach of the year last year. First year as coach, he gets us a chip. 
But you got to remember, these guys, OG and Siakam, these guys, they're diamonds in the rough type prospects. Now they're coming up. It's their fourth year in the league. And you know what? Just like guys like Austin Matthews, just like guys like Mitch Marner, teams are going to start figuring them out. And I think Nick Nurse is finally realizing that the plays he was playing for Siakam all these years, I think teams are starting to kind of figure it out. And he needs more from OG Ananobi, whether that's, you know, setting setting picks for him, opening the floor for OG, because we we have said he's gone. He's taken eight threes, I think, in three of the 10 games to start. So if he's going to take all those threes, you have to make the space for him. But other than that, I'm not I'm not really changing much with this team. What do you think? Yeah, I'm not going to make that big trade for Harden now. Uh, if Siakam was still struggling, I think that's where you maybe take the chance and you look at other teams and maybe go after Harden. But right now, the way Siakam's playing, I wouldn't risk it. Just uh, stick with what you have. Um, I don't know if you can really make another big trade because some of the guys, the way they're playing, like an OG, uh, like you, their value is kind of low. So if you were to really bring in a superstar or whoever's available right now, I think it would uh, cost the Raptors a lot more. Uh, maybe Kyle Lowry will be a name in the next couple months that they will move. Even if they're in a playoff spot, they might think that that's the right time to move them. Uh, but right now, I'm not like really changing anything. Uh, the only thing I'll change is maybe a depth piece or two off the bench. Something for like a first rounder in a couple years that you can swap, like lottery protected, something like that. But not going overboard and going all out like they did with Kawhi. I love it. Uh, moving on, well, we're just going to quickly move to the NHL. This is fun. This is now. This is going to be a, a really tough season. We've actually seen with COVID um, in the NBA. There's been a lot of outbreaks and teams are quarantining. And you know, um, the whole quarantining aspect, I think, in sports is going to really screw a lot of guys up in fantasy. It's going to be a very unpredictable year in sports, especially in fantasy. But I'm going to start this off with a negative. Um, we all know Evander Kane very well. He filed for bankruptcy. He owes about $27 million. Alino, what are your thoughts on this after the big deal he got a couple years back? Holy shit. How do you waste that kind of money? <laughs> like, Man, he makes like $7 million a year too, so he's pretty comfortable. That's like not knowing your limits type of thing. I don't know what kind of uh, people he has in his ear, his management, his circle of friends, but... Man, to be in debt that much and still be on a contract where you know you're going to make that kind of money still. And yeah, adding up like that, I'd change your management, uh, look around in San Jose for some new friends and uh, cut out the old ones because this is bad. Yeah, I agree. Uh, It's very unfortunate. I think we've seen this before as well with Jack Johnson, but that was a whole different story where the parents were taking his money. But this this to me kind of concerns me like not in a not in like a negative way for Evander Kane but just like where is where's the money going that like how did he spend all of this money where did it go I I really don't know there's a lot of questions that need to be asked here but I guess I'll start off by asking uh, we all know that San Jose last year they had a lot of injuries you know they battled a lot of a lot of obstacles last year and this again it's another obstacle um we all know that they're starting goalie Martin Jones. He is not. He is not a good goaltender at all. Um, but what do you expect now with if Evander Kane were to miss the twenty twenty one season for the San Jose Sharks? What do you really an- anticipate for guys like Meyer and Hurdle moving forward? Oh, those guys. I, I think Meyer is. Uh, I thought last year he would have a breakout year. Like it looked like it. The way they hyped him up and everything, it looked like he was on par like on progressing towards a 25 30 goal year and be that focal point for them like the new marlo for san jose i just think like their team is a lot better than what they performed like on paper last year they should have easily ran away with the cup uh they got carlson vlasic burns on the back end they had thornton marlo as the veterans pavelski left but they still had couture they had hurdle so like this year, I'm still expecting them to make the playoffs. Even like in a shortened year, they could probably even be first place because they didn't have to play in the bubble like all those other teams. So I think San Jose will benefit from the time off. And uh, I got them being first in their division, as crazy as it sounds. Uh, but going on to like the cup, they're just going to have to stay healthy because older guys like being off for that amount of time, it might take them a little while longer. So 
Uh, hopefully, they got their act together. And uh, if Evander Kane like stays out for personal reasons for the first half and then comes in motivated, that's a scary team to play against, even though they didn't live up to expectations last year. Yeah, I agree. I don't know if they're going to come first place. I like they have golden they have uh the Golden Knights and the Avs and we all know how great McKinnon and the Golden Knights have been. They just got Petrangelo, so that's definitely going to bolster them. But uh, yeah, I agree. I think San Jose is a big X factor this year, kind of like Carolina last year. Uh you know, you look at what they've done. Um they haven't really done a lot of changes. I know they got Devin Dubnik this offseason. It's an underrated move. Like you have Dubnik and Martin Jones. They're both, I think, over 32, though. So they're both veteran goalies. I guess they're going to split the starts. We're going to see a lot of that this year from from netminders. But I want to ask, um, like, what, like, this division that I'm looking at right here, you have the Golden Knights, the Blues, the Avs, the Ducks, the Coyotes, the Sharks, and the Wild, and the Kings. Like, we all know how, like, the Wild are kind of in limbo. You have the Coyotes, who to me, I think they're absolutely terrible now. And as well, the Kings are another team. So, like, what do you what do you expect, guys? Like Timo Meyer and Thomas Hurdle and Logan Couture. How long do you think this team has to win San Jose? Like, give give me like a, a window because Eric Carlson, I think, is thirty now. Brent Burns is 35, 36. Like, what is the deal with San Jose? Yeah, I think that after this year and probably that's it. I think last year and this year, those it's a two year window for them. Uh, I think this year they're going to probably be more aggressive at the trade deadline uh, because they're going to probably take advantage of the market and a lot of teams shedding salary because of Seattle coming in. So I think they'll probably be more uh, risk takers. Uh, maybe we'll even see, like, if Vlasic isn't playing well, at the end of the year they'll probably look at pro- buying him out just to see how it will change their team. But uh, I think they might like look at Hurdle. He could be a guy you can move after if you want to make a big trade. Logan Couture is another one. So it all depends on how Evander Kane comes in, uh, if he does come in, and uh, the kind of shape he'll be in, and mentally, physically, and if he can be that 30 goal guy for them. So uh, right now, their team is still like chemistry wise, they're solid. It's just going to come down to if they're all on the same page and right at the start of the year. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but like, I'm looking at remember Chicago all those years ago when they had that one shitty or no, maybe it was two, three years ago. They had that really bad year, and we were all kind of like, okay, does that mean Seabrook gets bought out? Like, let's let's start let's start doing this rebuild now. I feel like with San Jose, they're like the Rangers. Like, if they're gonna be bad this year, they're gonna think of rebuilding, but they're not necessarily gonna rebuild. Instead, they're gonna just sell. They're going to just maybe sell Couture, maybe sell Vlasic, maybe see if they can get a good offer for Carlson. I would keep Meyer. I would keep Hurdle. I would probably, I would try my best to not have those guys get pissed off or, you know, frustrated in, within the organization, especially a guy like a Timo Meyer. I think he could be, he could kind of be, I could see him being like a Rantanen with this team. He could be like your top winger, that, that productive power forward, but I really don't know with San Jose anymore, and it sucks to say because I've been calling them Stanley Cup favorites since 2013. I think this is finally the year where, like you said, Alino, if they don't get over the hump and if they don't make the playoffs, you got to start either buying people out or you gotta you got to just start trading for assets, exactly like how even Ottawa did it. Look at them now. I think the rebuild literally lasts. They're still in rebuild, but they're a lot better than they were three year, two, three years ago. So... If I'm San Jose fans, I wouldn't really worry about rebuilding because even if they were to rebuild, I don't see it really lasting that long. But other than that, man, this division, it's looking uh, other than the, the Avs and the Golden Knights it's and the Blues, it's not looking uh, that competitive at all. But now I got to ask this question. We saw Bowen Byram. He killed it in the World Juniors. What can this guy potentially bring if he plays with a guy like a Devin Taves or a Kale McCarr on the power play next year with Nathan McKinnon, what can Bo what can Bo and Byram's projection look like? Oh, it's going to be insane. I just don't like with Colorado. Like, do you want to risk the contract talk after? Because if you burn a year, uh, like it might not look good for you in terms of uh, McKinnon's contract coming up when his would probably come up, and that's two guys. So. Uh, the money coming in after is going to be an interesting one. So I think with Byram, 
you could if he doesn't make the roster like all year, they might look at a way to a creative way to have him like on the taxi squad type of thing, where his contract I think is deferred to like the AHL and then their team, so it would split up a bit. So it, he should make the team, but if he makes, it will be uh, a business decision more than a hockey decision. Yeah, I I like that. I think he's. I still think he's making the team. Like they're a very they have very. They have a lot of great defensemen. They just got Devin Taves. I think they also have, you know, Ryan Graves, another guy that's – and Connor Timmons is another guy that's scratching to make the lineup. But I think Bowen Byram is way too good to pass up this year. What we saw in the World Juniors played around 26 minutes. He looked like a young Morgan Riley. And uh, Bowen Byram was the captain. He has that leadership mentality. I think he could probably be a better leader than McCarr, but, but not a better player. But this team, I, I have him going to the finals this year. I think the Avs – Man, like you have Landis Cog, Kadri, McKinnon, Rantanen. Like this team, it's not, they're not fair. Even Burakovsky has slowly started to figure out his offensive game. So I love Colorado. I think this team is potentially winning it all. And uh, scratch, uh, scratch the Hart Trophy. I have uh, Nathan McKinnon winning the Hart Trophy this year because he got snubbed last year. So I'm just going to say Nathan McKinnon wins it this year. I have him in fantasy. And that's about it. But moving on. We got to quickly talk about this guy. We've been talking about him for uh, Pinello. I wish he was here to hear this, but finally, Mike Hoffman. He's finally found a team one year. What are your thoughts on Mike Hoffman joining the St. Louis Blues? Yeah, it took a long time. He even had to be on a PTO. That uh, PTO lasted all of like three days, and then he got a $4 million deal, so good for him. I think there's going to be a prove-it type of thing where – the situation is he's going to be filling in for Tarasenko at the start. Uh, and then after, depending on how Tarasenko is when he comes back, Hoffman might be down on the second, third line if they want to match up with other teams. But uh, this is a good opportunity for Hoffman to show everyone that he is a 30-goal scorer. Uh, come and play a big role for the Blues, who looks stacked right now. Even though they lost Petrangelo, they got Krug, they got Hoffman now. Uh, Bennington is still there. They got rid of Allen's contract, so everything's looking positive for them. Uh, they don't have to worry about COVID because I think uh, their performance is probably because of that. Like I think a lot of guys had COVID before they went into the playoffs, so that's why they kind of look slow and not their greatest. But I think the Blues this year are going to have a bounce back, and uh, maybe they can even be that uh, Stanley Cup champion or show signs of being that Stanley Cup champion again right off the jump. Because uh, they have a nice, well-rounded two-way team. What are your thoughts on uh, on um, Tory Krug as well going there? And of course, I, I forgot to mention this guy because he's absolutely he's insane, and he's finally coming back. Is Vladimir Tarasenko? What do you expect from those two guys uh, for the St. Louis team? Oh, Krug, I think right away slots in where Petrangelo is playing. I think he's going to be that puck mover for them, power play. Uh, they have a good core on their defense right now after when Petrangelo left I thought that would be a bad spot because you got Vince Dunn you got Pareko like one of those two would have to step up and whether they were ready or not for that is uh would have been up to them they would have had like a lot of growing pains for that so having Krug step in a guy who was proven in Boston I think is perfect and doesn't really turn them away or it doesn't take away their momentum as much so they're uh he he's gonna come in right away play that role and tarasenko uh i hope it's a slow approach because he has been a guy the last couple years who's been unlucky with injuries but if he is a hundred percent that's a guy who's like a proven 40 goal guy he can come in score big goals you don't have to worry about like having uh to rely on someone else to score tarasenko will be that guy easily so st louis is looking dangerous this year I love it. Uh, I guess to end this, uh, I'll ask Blues or Abs. Who do you have going further? Oh, a tough one. Uh, I'm going to go the Blues for now, just because I think their overall team, uh, the veteran group, has done it. They know what it is to win a cup. Uh, you know what? As crazy as this even sounds, Arizona's another team. I'm gonna keep an eye on. I think Phil, with no practice, he's gonna roll out of bed, score thirty. Uh, be back to the Phil that didn't really care before when he was on the Leafs during that lockout year. So Darcy Kemper's another one who uh, he was a Vesna candidate all year. Uh, maybe even 
uh, Kremper could be a guy if San, San Jose is playing like shit. They might look at, you know what, let's risk it all. Let's go get Kemper. So I think a lot of teams are going to watch Arizona because if they're successful, uh, Arizona is going to be that buyer. But if they're not successful, I think everyone's going to look at Kessel, Kemper uh, to, as trade bait. So I think that's going to be a team to watch in that uh, division this year. Yeah, you want to talk about a player who's been flat-out disappointing for me. That's Clayton Keller, man. I thought this guy would be so much better than what he is, and I think that's what would have put me over for Arizona. If a guy like a Clayton Keller you know, was putting up – I'm not going to say Patrick K numbers because not really many do that. I mean, Panarin's now, I guess, his successor because Panarin had a he's, – he's, he's a freak. So Panarin, I think, maybe has passed Kane in that regard for, for offense, but – in, uh, Keller, I, I expect him this year to like kind of like remember what we talked about with Drew Ann like two, three weeks ago. I expect like those talks to start coming up with Keller. If he doesn't start producing in like a year, like that's when you got to start trading him. Because, man, at one point going into the 2017-2018 season, he was the number one, number one prospect in all of hockey, man. The number one prospect. So... He's got a lot to to work on. I mean, defensively, he's a liability. No offense to him. That's just how he plays the game. But his IQ is there. His skill is there. Um, I just I need a little more from him if I want to start, you know, looking at Arizona as a as a bit of a contender. We know what Kemper's all about. He's good. Um, Barrett Hayden's another guy this year. I think this is going to be what I think he got drafted in 2019. So this is the second year now. He's going to probably make the team. I don't know with with Arizona, Alino. I know you're a big Arizona fan, but I just I don't see it with this team. And I, I think Phil will probably get dealt in February. Phil, <laughs> <laughs> do you think Ekman Larson though should have? I know they had that uh, deadline. Like he came in with his agent, they uh, strolled in and made some demands. But yeah. <laughs> do you think the GM should have traded Ekman Larson? I think they would have been in a better spot. Absolutely, I think he should have pulled the trigger. Uh, I wanted to say maybe after last year, and there's no knack on OEL. Uh, he's 29 years old. Um, he he's just he's. I wouldn't say he's in the prime of his career anymore. I probably would have said that at maybe 25 years old. But he's a great leader, nonetheless. We we all know when it comes to captaincies in in Arizona slash Phoenix, they're very loyal. Look what they've done with Shane Doan. So I don't know if they're just gonna ship out OEL like that. I know they have a lot of young leaders that want to be captains like you have um Christian Dvorak's a great leader you have you know Barrett Hayden we can maybe see what he can do Jacob Chikrin another great leader so um they do have options uh if like for for a captaincy if if he does get dealt but again I'll you know the only thing is now with COVID running around and you really don't know what players trade values are like look what happened with Hoffman like this guy's a was a 30 goal scorer basically a year ago and he got a PTO because of the salary cap crunch and all that. So I think if OEL were to get dealt, it would have to be monumental and it would probably go to a team. I know you're probably going to laugh when I say this, but I want to say Pittsburgh takes a run at Ekman Larson. Just, I don't know. Let Tang and OEL together, man, that'd be good. Latang is another guy too, where like he's scratching 32 and he's been healthy the last two years. And it's like, okay, if you're going to take him in fantasy, flip a coin, it's either he's going to dominate or he's going to get injured. So if they go through those problems again, I see Jim Rutherford saying, oh shit, we need a freaking D. So we're going to go out and try and get OEL because you look at the contract, you look at what's been going on in Arizona and don't think a lot of players want to be there. So I'll say OEL, if he leaves, there's another option. You know, Austin Matthews, if he ever wants to leave Toronto, he could be the captain of his hometown. So I hope he doesn't take the Kawhi Leonard approach. We've already seen that in Toronto. I hope that narrative uh, doesn't repeat itself. But I'll, for now, I'll say OEL stays in Arizona. But I wouldn't be surprised if the GM just like pulled the trigger on the whole team, like trade Keller, trade OEL. We're only going to keep Hayden and a couple others. And that is it. But now we got to move on. I got to talk about this Canadian division. Like this division is so exciting, man. Like I'm so excited for this because for the longest time I was telling my dad, we need to see more Matthews McDavid matchups. And we're seeing it this year. Finally, the offense is going to be off the hook. What are your thoughts on this division? Do you think it's going to help 
um, stop the spread of COVID? And what are your expectations for the standings in this division? Uh, I think it helps that they have them all traveling within provinces. Like they're probably not going to do like Toronto, Montreal, and then right away they got to fly all the way to Vancouver. I think this is going to be an approach where you're keeping Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary. Like those two provinces are close together. They'll go around for a few games. Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa go around a few games. Winnipeg is probably screwed. They're going to go back and forth. So unfortunately, they're the team that gets the bad part of this whole travel schedule. But the fact that it's in Canada, it's something new. It's something fresh. If they want to go for it, like uh, realign the whole league going forward, I wouldn't be uh, opposed to it. A Canadian division in the NHL, all these rivalries. Uh, you're going to probably see McDavid and Matthews, that competitive rivalry go. Uh, you're going to see Toronto, Ottawa all the time, Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver. They can get a new rivalry going. Maybe we'll see like some bad blood with uh, Vancouver and Montreal when they eventually play. Uh, just their styles of play might match up. Uh, I think this is probably the most exciting division in the league right now, and I just want to see it stay. Like I think Toronto Edmonton are the favorites right now. I think they both have to. They're going to have all the pressure going into it. And that's going to come down to which team has a better defense. And if you look at them right now, it's uh, probably Toronto on paper, but it's going to be uh, all offense type of lead, uh, division. There's going to be a lot of scoring and very little defense. So I'm all for it. Yeah, I agree there. I, I, I mean, like, you look at Calgary, they got Markstrom. Goudreau had a bad year last year. I think he's going to pick it up. Dryside on McDavid are no slouches. They got Barry. Uh, Kyle Turris is a great uh, depth centerman at this point in his career. Kyler Yamamoto's looking unreal, actually, for, for Edmonton. So, I mean, I really don't know what to believe. I know they got Dominic Cahoon as well. He was a great support winger in Chicago. I don't see them being like a top two in this division, but I could see them probably finishing third or fourth. I still have, I know you said with the traveling with Winnipeg, I still have Winnipeg and Toronto as the top two in this division. I think Vancouver's third, and I think Edmonton is fourth. But um, is it safe to say out of all these teams, is Ottawa dead last, or are you thinking more along the lines of uh, Montreal? Yeah, this one is because Ottawa made a lot of good moves. I like the Matt Murray uh, signing they did, how they extended him after they got him. Uh, Stutzel, I think he's going to have a good year. Uh, They have a lot of young guys. Connor Brown's going to have another good year, I think. I think I'm going to put them above Montreal. I think Montreal is going to rely too much on Price and Weber, and they're only going to go as far as those two guys take them. So if they end up having to be out with injury, like Weber hasn't had the... He had a better season last year in terms of that, but if he gets an injury here or there and you have to have Price play like 40 games, I think that's not going to be the way to go for them. So I think Jake Allen might fuck everything up for them, and uh, they'll be in last at the end of the (laughs) season. Yeah, I <laughs> Montreal, they're a funny team, man. Like they were intriguing last year and now this year. I mean, last year they, you know, they had the surprising playoff run and they faced, you know, Philly. And you know, like it it comes down to me with Montreal, the success, it comes down to these two guys in Suzuki and Kokenyemi. If they can start rolling, then maybe they're not last. But, you know, you have to add in the contracts of Josh Anderson that they got. Um, and Corey Perry, like these are two guys, these are sandpaper guys. I don't think, I don't think they're going to fit Montreal system. And then there's a guy like a Tyler Toffoli, who I think was probably the home run for them this off season. He's, he's a, he's a potential 30 goal scorer. Um, Michael Froelich's a great addition as well to Montreal, but yeah, getting Jake Allen, I don't really know if that's a good option. Uh, if Carey Price were to go down with an injury and you have backups of Jake Allen and, I think it's, I don't even know who the third option is there. I think it's still uh, that guy that used to play for Canada way back all those years ago. But yeah, Carey Price has to be in top form if they don't want to come in last place. And that's just to not come in last place. So Montreal to me has a lot of growing pains. Uh, We all know Montreal faithful. They're always going to be very like stingent and very, you know, hard headed. You know, if you, if you go up to a Montreal fan and you say, Hey, is your team in rebuild? They're going to be like, hey, like, are you on crack? Because like Montreal, man, when I went to Montreal, like if you lose a game in Montreal, the whole night, wherever you are, it's a shit show. Like they're talking about the game. They're talking about 
how bad they played. And when I went to the game, they faced um, they faced San Jose, and San Jose outshot them forty four to twenty six, and Montreal won two nothing that game. That was the season Carey Price won the Hart Trophy. And let me tell you, man, they were booing the shit out of the team the whole game. But every time Carey Price made a stop, they gave him the standing O. They know which player to, to motivate. And that's what I love about Montreal. The fans there, they do not mess around. And this is going to be a very tough year for Bergevin. I don't really know. I'm not going to say he's going to get fired or anything. But like he's on Shirelli territory right now. I don't really know. If he can, if he can save this franchise. Oh yeah! Imagine the trades he has uh, lined up. He already got rid of Pacioretty. He got rid of Domi. He got rid of like a who's who so far. This whole team. Chef. Oh yeah, that's a deal. I think they wish they didn't do. <laughs> Subban. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, like I don't know what he does. Like this is. Uh, I think the Subban trade is the only one that worked out. I'm getting Weber, but oh yeah, like yeah, all the moves he made and the draft picks like yeah he's uh in that Shirelli territory he's gonna watch out this year and i even just read like literally yesterday they put Corey perry on waivers if you're gonna sign a guy like Corey perry who's been a veteran and he went to the stanley cup final last year like you're gonna sign him and then you're gonna put him on waivers is that really what you want to do all right man i guess you're going all in on josh anderson here so Josh Anderson better be a better version of Brendan Gallagher if that's what they want to, if that's what they're looking for, because they gave Anderson almost Gallagher money. But what are your thoughts on, on like, we talk about Stutzel, we talk about all these young guys being great, but what are your expectations realistically, Alino, on Suzuki and Kokanyemi? Because I feel like I'm higher on those two guys than a lot of other guys. Yeah, I like Suzuki. I think he could be. Uh, first line like playmaker but definitely a top six if he's not a first liner I think he can be that guy like uh kind of like what Kadri is not a, like as aggressive but like when Kadri came in everyone was saying oh he wants to be that first line center but you have him slotted in on the second line uh play up and down the lineup maybe even go to the wing so I think Suzuki will be something similar uh I don't think he's going to be a kind of guy that goes in the boards and just decks people I think he's going to be a skilled guy uh, someone who can contribute on the power play, uh, playmaker. If he has a right uh, wingers with him, he can probably put up like 35, 40 assists a year. But I think he's. It's gonna take like a few more years before we really see his best uh, like version of him. Uh, he's one of those guys that he came into the league early, and because of that, everyone's gonna put unrealistic expectations on him and expect him to get like 90 points. So. Uh, I think it's going to probably be another year or two before we see that potential finally come out. Wow. Uh, I'll end this with hockey because like, this is fun, and it's I'm putting you on the spot here. But out of these three teams in this division, like this division is this is the one with the East and the West teams. Out of these three teams, which team do you think will be the best? Because to me, they're all relatively in the same boat. Uh, you have Chicago, Columbus, and Nashville. Oh shit! Yeah, this division is uh, this going to be a fun one. Uh, a lot of different matchups. I'm going to go Columbus so easily on that. I think Chicago is going to regress here. I think this is going to be a bad year. Uh, Taves being out for the start is going to hurt them, and then once he comes back, I think it might be too late. Even though Kane is still amazing, I think Columbus is just going to be that top team out of those three because they're consistent. They're coached by Torts. He loves that style of play that he has. Like Dubois, I don't know what the hell he was thinking by saying he wants to get traded, but he signed an extension. I don't think they should trade him. They got Domi coming in. I think that's going to be the perfect match. Him, Torts, you put him in that offensive core they have. Uh, they have Seth Jones and Rorensky. That's all you need on defense. Seth Jones is a 60-minute man like we saw in the playoffs. He's a stud. So I just think this team is going to be an easy playoff team. If their goalies can continue to improve more than what we saw last year, I think this team could even challenge for a top spot in the division when it's all done. Yeah, you know what? I actually agree there. I would I was going to say Nashville to be the better team, but I really don't know at this point in time with Rene and Saros. Like Rene's 37 years old now, and this is where Saros has to start picking it up. And Saros is even like 27 now, so Soros has to pick it up. I know they drafted a couple uh, international goalies last year or two years ago, so we got to monitor that. But 
Yeah, I, I like Nashville. Like they have Ryan Johansson, they have you know uh, Arvidsson and Forsberger rolling. But other than that, they're not really that same team anymore. I mean, Roman Yossi to me is probably still a top three defenseman in the league. Ryan Ellis is there, Ekholm is there. They have Dante Fabro, so they're they're okay defensively. But for me, their goaltending is kind of it's shaky now. It's finally gotten to that point where Rene has finally declined. Father time has beat him. And now you have Soros, who's already in his mid to late 20s. So uh, this team, they, they're also, for me, in San Jose territory, where it's like you really, really don't know where you guys are going. So um, I agree with Columbus. I think Dubois is a star in the making, if, if he's not already. Um, he got the bridge deal like what Wierenski did when he first uh, was a free agent. I expect Dubois to have a breakout this year. I think he's going to get around 52 and 56 games. He's almost a point-of-game player, man. What we saw against the Leafs in the playoffs, holy shit, he looked terrifying. So if he can translate that into this upcoming season with the amount of training and rest that they've had, man, I I, I think I think I agree with you in Columbus. <laughs> Not like I did two years ago when you <laughs> predicted them to beat you know Tampa, but now Columbus is finally starting – they're, they're young guys in Jones, Orensky, Dubois are starting to blossom, and uh, it's going to be scary for them. But now we're going to move on to wrestling. What we saw yesterday was a shit show. <laughs> Pretty damn funny. Uh, Alino, I want you to talk about it because just the way you talk about it is just hilarious. I guess we'll leave the end of Raw to, I guess, like the end of the pod, but just bring, bring up wrestling, buddy. Okay, so the show started out. Okay, unfortunately for Drew McIntyre, he got COVID. Hopefully he gets a recovery there. But I, I think he wouldn't mind, like, to be honest. He has a program with Goldberg, so I think take he's like, break. you know what? <laughs> I'll take a break. They started with Triple H coming out, and I guess to save the ratings, Triple H is going to main event against Randy Orton later on in the night. Everyone wants to see that in 2021. Uh, Ric Flair, still got it. Slick Rick, still coming out. <laughs> He turned on his own daughter and That's he aligned with Lacey Evans. Atta boy. So Slick Rick had a time on Raw. I don't think it's the smartest move. Uh, they had guys who had COVID. You don't know how many of them tested positive and they have a 71-year-old or 72, whatever he is, who has who's had some health issues in the past on Raw. So that's uh, obviously not a smart move on their behalf, but uh, Ric Flair got to have a good time. So that was good to see. And then we found out more as the night went on. Keith Lee, I don't know what they're going to do with him. Uh, AJ Styles took on Drew Gulak. Uh, Drew Gulak thought he was big time by saying he wanted to put his name in the Rumble. And uh, they said, yeah, you're not a champion, so you can't do that. Uh, AJ goes in. I like his bodyguard. He looks like they're uh, developing his character. And uh, yeah, the main event, Triple H came out. T-shirt, jeans, wrestled Randy Orton in a quick little six, seven-minute match and had some interference at the end. He had his sledgehammer set on fire, disappeared, so I think he got kidnapped by The Fiend. And Alexa Bliss was in the ring with her, I don't know what, shot a flamethrower, <laughs> a ball of fire in Randy Orton's face, and that was the end of the show. So I don't know what to make of this. <laughs> you know what? Like Seeing Triple H on Raw, it was actually hilarious. And... A lot of a lot of people over the years they've gotten really tired of Triple H, but like he hasn't been on TV in a very very long time. And kudos to him because there was a time there, I think it was in 2013 or 14, he was on almost every week. So um, seeing Triple H was definitely it was fun to see, and especially against Randy Orton, it brought me back way back to like 2005 2004. So that was fun to see and. Um, you know, the vets, they did their best. I think Triple H, you know, wrestling in a shirt and jeans, it's very 2021-like because I don't see him putting on tights and all that stuff at the age of, like, 51. So um, kudos to Triple H for not um, showing us all that baggage at 52 years old. I like the the new look. If, if he's going to wrestle again, I want to see him in this. But I feel like this is just to keep Randy's momentum going um, with Triple H coming on Raw and I wouldn't really say it's more for the ratings. I think, like, I know ratings do matter in the long run, but we got to remember, man, like, this last year, Randy Orton has probably been WWE. Like, if if I, if, if I think of one guy in WWE the last, like, year and a half that's, I guess, carried the company, I'm probably going to go with it's either Randy Orton or it's Drew McIntyre the last year and a half. And 
yes, Roman Reigns has done his thing since February, but like the last year and a half, Randy Orton and Drew, and Drew McIntyre have just they've knocked it out of the park. So um, I think this was just to maybe keep Randy's momentum and you know that mystique with the fiend and. You know, what we saw at the end of the show was an absolute <laughs> joke, throwing a fireball at Randy's face. I guess I'm going to start by asking here. We talked about it a little before the, the, the pod started, but who the hell is the face here? I think uh, one week it looks like Randy is. The other week it looks like The Fiend is. Uh, now with what happened on Raw, I don't think anybody is on it. Like, I don't even think like they know. Uh, if there was a crowd, it would be able to be easier to tell, but... The more this thing goes on, the, the playground, the swing set, uh, the Firefly Funhouse, you have Randy Orton coming in and killing Rambling Rabbit. Like, there's a, it's a mess. I don't know what to make of this. I think uh, they're going to have to get creative because I don't know how they're going to lead to Randy Orton and Edge out of this whole thing. Like, is Edge going to come out with and save the day with a fire extinguisher? And then Randy's going to get upset. And then they're going to lead to, like, an Inferno match at WrestleMania. Like, I don't know. Uh, like... I like what Randy Orton's doing now. It's he's the, been the bright spot. This is I didn't think he can still develop a new character after 20 years of doing the same thing, and he's evolved again, which is crazy, and it just shows how good he is. Well, what are your thoughts? I guess I'm gonna start with like what like we all know that Randy Orton is facing the Fiend. I I want to say it's at the Royal Rumble. Um, but what are your thoughts? Like, is I assume that means Randy's not in the in the Royal Rumble match. And if he's not, um, because I did see rumors that they, well, I mean, I don't know if plan, obviously plans change, but I remember the rumor for the longest time was Randy Orton versus Edge for the WWE championship at WrestleMania. Do you think those plans have changed by now? Or do you think they're still probably going to, they're going to go and do that? I think it would be good. It's just the only like thing about that is like Edge, I think is like three matches a year on his deal or four depending on what it is and i don't think they want to have it where okay he wins a title and then we're going to waste all his matches in two months so if they do that it might be a little bit more predictable like you know there's only so many things you can do with edge like that as a champion so i think they probably change plans on that but i think orton edge has to be that match at wrestlemania now depending on uh what happens with drew but uh i would go randy versus edge i don't think it needs a title at this stage I think they just need one uh, more match after what they had. And uh, I think it was backlash that greatest match ever tagline thing. So I think uh, they'll probably have just a regular match and then we'll see Orton uh, still be the heel and, uh, and that rivalry. But the fiend, I have uh, no idea where they're going to go with him. That's why I'm thinking the more I think about this and the way they're building this feud, like, would you be surprised if they just scratched uh, Randy versus Edge and they went with Orton versus The Fiend at WrestleMania? Yeah, it would be interesting because, like, they probably could drag it on. Like, if they don't have Orton and The Fiend together for, like, another month, I think they could do that. Just keep The Fiend off TV, have him return at WrestleMania, and they have their match where The Fiend goes over, but... Uh, even Edge, like if they do a triple threat, like let's say Edge is in the, totally 100%, but he can still have uh, take some bumps if they do a triple threat to kind of protect them. Uh, I think that could be another option. Or if they want to have Edge come back and swerve everyone, do a tag team, and you have somebody else debut and align with The Fiend, that's another option. But uh, I think they should have Randy, The Fiend, and Edge somehow uh, together for WrestleMania. Yeah, I I agree with that. I mean, I feel like Edge and the Fiend, like the way that their characters are, and like we've seen Edge go to really dark places. I think that would be a triple threat match. I think I wouldn't really care who would win that. I love all three of them, but I think the Fiend would would have to win if it was the three of them. But I still think Orton is taking the loss either way. He's at that point now in his career where it's either he's going to put over Edge for his last Mania match or he's going to. I mean, like, this is the thing. Like, is is Edge really done after this year? Like, is he actually going to compete till, like, 2023? Like, we really have no idea. So, we know The Fiend is going to be here long-term. Randy, <laughs> we've been saying for, like, the last two, three years, maybe start going more to part-time status, but he's just been doing his thing. So, I mean, I think I want what I'm going to say, like, maybe in a year's time, we really have no idea if any of these three will be big, big, big time main event guys. Like, 
The reason I say that for The Fiend is because, man, like Bray Wyatt over the years, I thought this guy was going to be like the next Undertaker, the way they were building him up with the Wyatt family, and he beat Kane in his first match, and and then it just went to shit. So I really hope The Fiend in a year's time is very, 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 very monumental to this business. Randy Orton has been monumental for, damn, two decades. So um, I feel like maybe this is the best opportunity here for maybe you just let Randy and The Fiend go at maybe at it at WrestleMania and you have that mystical, dark, um, cinematic match there where you could have The Fiend versus Randy and maybe you could have Edge maybe take on maybe a returning superstar. I don't really know. Maybe what would you be opposed to maybe seeing Daniel Bryan versus Edge in a one-on-one? Oh, that'd be good. Even Edge versus AJ. Like AJ's like going around. He's like in the mid card main event. You don't really know what he's up to. Like I don't think he's gonna win the Rumble match because I think they might have other plans for that. But I think AJ versus Edge might be a a little swerve, and you can do Edge versus Randy at SummerSlam. But I think uh, yeah, like Edge coming back, it's gonna be. There's different opponents he can wrestle. I would, wouldn't obviously put him against someone who's not safe in the ring. Like keep him away from Seth Rollins for a little bit. Let Edge have one more match. Uh, <laughs> probably against AJ. I think would be the safest pick. You can have AJ brag about the whole Boneyard match and then have Edge come out uh, and they can go at it. You can even do the Miz versus Edge, but the way they build building the Miz, they haven't really like send him apart for that they're kind of using just a briefcase for him to come out and then they'll probably do something with him so if they're building him up more and having him go over in his matches i would go miz versus edge but right now i don't think that would make too much sense yeah honestly man like i feel like us as wwe fans we got to start realizing that randy orton versus edge might not even be happening at wrestlemania like there are a lot of different options like i've even been hearing drew mcintyre versus brock lesnar again for the WWE title. And I'm not even opposed to that. As long as maybe Drew wins again. Brock Lesnar shouldn't really be champion anymore. But w- but Vince McMahon. We all know how hard headed he is. He doesn't really look into the future. So um, plans always change. I think regardless. AJ and Edge. Whatever they're in. They're going to knock it out of the park. Because that's just who they are. They're, they're the heart and soul guys in the company. Randy Orton as well. Um, it depends with Randy. Like, if he's going to take on a guy like AJ or the or Edge in a singles match at WrestleMania, I don't think he's going to be as motivated as if it were maybe like The Fiend or if it had a title in it. So I think Randy Orton has been deserving of getting that title. Like, for goodness sake, he was the WWE champion. A lot of people forget that he beat Drew McIntyre. So he was the WWE champion earlier on in, or later on in 2020. So I wouldn't be surprised if Randy Orton like crawled in there and and he had a title shot at wrestlemania because out of all the guys that we just mentioned i think randy orton is the most deserving of a title shot right now not brock lesnar not goldberg none of those guys so if i'm booking it i would probably do i I would even maybe put the fiend and randy's feud into like just kind of you could shift it into a drew mcintyre type storyline you know what i mean like i feel like if even those three were to face each other that's something different it's something fresh and it would leave the fans definitely on their seat because I really wouldn't even know who would win that. Yeah, even the Royal Rumble, like, it's so unpredictable because, like, I saw Daniel Bryan as being a favorite to win it. Shinsuke, the way he was on SmackDown, he can be a name to win it. Uh, Brock, I saw a lot about Brock maybe coming back to win it. Keith Lee, so they have so many guys that they haven't really... I like how they didn't really build it up so much where, like, last year it was all Drew and Brock and... You know, like their showdown in the Rumble is going to probably be determining the winner of it. So this year they haven't really had uh, too much interaction with the guys that are going to be in it. I think that's something fresh. And then it leads you thinking like, okay, maybe one of these guys can win, change one of them to heel, or uh, maybe they can change shows. Maybe if Daniel Bryan won, he can go to Raw. Uh, So I like how they're doing that. And it's probably going to lead to a better WrestleMania, I hope. Uh, Maybe the main event you see something like, Roman versus uh, someone even on his own show. Maybe he faces Shinsuke. They build up Shinsuke for the next while and ends up being him coming up. Or maybe we see Daniel Bryan in The Miz, even though it's a little bit unpredictable. Uh, the Miz would have to win the title. Uh, but I think Drew right now is probably going to be the champion who's facing the Rumble winner at WrestleMania. 
Yeah, I was going to say, do you do you think it's better for WWE to maybe do Roman Reigns versus Daniel Bryan? Like, because that I feel like Roman Reigns versus Daniel Bryan. I know the Miz and Bryan, like we all want that. That storyline is outstanding, but I feel like that's really predictable. Like, I feel like Bryan has to win that match against the Miz. Whereas, because I don't see, I don't think Vince sees the Miz as like a long term champion. I think he's just going to be that transitional. You know, win it in maybe cash in in early February and lose it in early April, and then that's it. Um, we all know that the Miz has been deserving of another WWE title run. It's just the guys that are above him right now are just they're at a different level. Like Drew McIntyre's at a different level. Roman Reigns is at a different level. Um, even guys like AJ who are still trying to scratch and claw and get a WWE title, I think he's still better than the Miz. So there's a lot of guys out there that I think Vince is a lot more. Um, prone to going to and i don't know if the miz is uh is a good opponent for daniel bryan um in terms of predictable in terms of uh, unpredictability if i want like an unpredictable main event i think i'm taking roman reigns versus daniel bryan if daniel bryan were to win the royal rumble oh yeah and then you can have maybe the miz cash in at wrestlemania or maybe the night after like as a heel thing like i don't think i agree with you i don't think they want to have the miz go into wrestlemania as a champion again uh because of what happened last time with cena like it was kind of the afterthought so if they're gonna build it I th- yeah it's probably after wrestlemania is the likely thing where he would cash in uh but like going into wrestlemania you would probably want aj or drew randy uh roman i think i don't think roman's losing a title at adam pierce <laughs> like i don't know people <laughs> online are going nuts and saying oh adam pierce this guy on the indies who went into like NWA Ring of Honor? He's all of a sudden going to win the title as a WWE official. I don't think that's happening. No. Uh, Roman's going to be champ, <laughs> so it's a nice little story. But I, I don't think you want to kill the guy's momentum uh, with a 42-year-old just coming in and strolling in for a title. I think it would be a nice little technical matchup, but uh, I wouldn't have Roman lose a title at the Royal Rumble. Yeah, no way. No way in hell am I doing that. Uh, Roman and Drew as champs are absolutely amazing. Uh, even Bill. Like, if Bill were to win the title, like, for me, that's abysmal. But if it just means Drew's going to win it at WrestleMania, then, like, I really don't give a shit. And then, but again, even last Mania, when we were talking about Bill Goldberg versus Braun Strowman for the Universal title, I think we literally talked about it for, like, a minute, and we laughed. <laughs> so I don't want that at, at this year's WrestleMania. I want both the... the the main title matches to be absolutely brilliant. So I don't want Bill Goldberg in it. Uh, if Brock's in it, but on a good match. But other than that, I want new freaking faces. I want to see The Miz. I want to see Brian. I want to see, you know, I want to see Roman Reigns again there. He hasn't, he actually hasn't been in the main event with a title for a while. I think since 2016, 2017. So, um, and like, even with a lot of people that I've noticed with Roman Reigns, how they're, Oh, you know, he's in a main event WrestleMania again, and it's the same mold. It's not really the same mold if you think about it. He's not the babyface this time around. He's actually the top heel in the company, and he's been on fire. So I think it's going to be a lot different if Roman were to go up against like a a top babyface and like a Daniel Bryan, or if they wanted to go with, I don't know, maybe Shinsuke winning it. Like they're the opportunity. Like even if they went with like The Rock winning it and being the surprise entrant, and then you could have. The Rock versus Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. I don't think they're doing that this year because of COVID. But if there were fans, I think it, like we already would know The Rock. The Rock's winning yeah. the Royal Rumble. We wouldn't <laughs> even be talking about Brian or any of these other guys. So thank God for that. Um, it's still unpredictable. I really have no idea, but I really hope Roman Reigns, whatever he does, the fans appreciate because him as well. He's been tremendous this this uh, this year. Do you think they'll do like a two night thing again if there's fans? Like if they have a limited number, do you think they'll go to what they did last year or should they have a one night thing and just Roman as a main event? Well, we've talked about this for like two years now. It's either me as a fan, it's either it's too long or it's yeah, like it, so it's either it's too long or they got to shorten it. So that's how I look at it. So if, if you're if it's WrestleMania and what has it been the last couple of years, like seven hours so if you're going to do a seven hour show, like people get tired after like three. So, I mean, I would probably do the two nights again. If you're going to have like 15 matches on a card, that's way too many for one night. I would maybe spread it out. And like, Elena, we talked about last year. Last year's WrestleMania to me was probably the best WrestleMania since 30. 
And that's saying a lot. There were no fans la- last year. It was in the performance center. You know, they all did their a great job. It was a Saturday and a Sunday event. And I think it's better all, all in all for wrestling fans. Like it's basically your whole weekend is gone and it's devoted to WrestleMania instead of that one night on a Sunday where on the Monday you have to work and you have to get up and the show ends at 1130. So I think I think if it's going to be like this moving forward with 15 matches and you have like a cinematic match and something like that that can last upwards of an hour, then, yeah, I think the two the two night thing, they have to keep that moving forward. If they do the two-night thing and let's say they have a cinematic match, do you close the show of night one like they did last year with a cinematic match, like assuming it's Randy and The Fiend? Or do you have, do you like, because it's not Undertaker involved, do you go back with having one world title on one night and then the other main event the other? I think it all depends on how they want to elevate, like, The Fiend status. If The Fiend is, uh, if he's going to have a cinematic match against a Randy Orton at WrestleMania, like a be all and end all, like, you know, like this ends the feud for good. Um, I, I think they need to do that. I think they have to put that in the main event because like the Undertaker and AJ Styles to end night one last year was perfect. I think that was like it couldn't have gone better. And I feel like that's a lesson that they need to look at and they need to say, holy shit, like we need to start doing this moving forward. Like fans like it's all digital now everything's digital fans are always on their computers on their ipads tablets whatever so i feel like if they were to do that and they can get away with it being even a main event and like it like dude like i i read mixed reviews some people hated it some people absolutely like me, like me you and Piniello, we absolutely loved it and i've i've read that like other people are like oh this isn't wrestling you know they're not wrestling in the ring you know, this is all different, but I, to me, I think this is a, it's a modern and it's a good different. It's something that Vince has seen and he's like, holy shit, this is actually working out beautifully. Even when they did Cena versus the Fiend at WrestleMania, I think that was on night two and that was absolutely incredible too. So for me, both cinematic matches uh, at WrestleMania, they performed tremendously. So if they're going to um, put the term cinematic match at a WrestleMania, I think it has to be newsworthy either way. So if they're going to do a cinematic match night one and you have a guy like Randy Orton and The Fiend, yeah, that has the main event. Yeah, that would be good. Having a nice little cinematic thing with The Fiend. Even Randy, that's sick fuck. <laughs> Maybe talk Keith Lee, Sheamus. I don't really know what's going on with them, but I think Keith Lee is going to have a big year this year. Oh, yeah, Keith Lee... Uh... You know what, this is another interesting one I saw online. Uh, some fans on Twitter have been saying, like, if they go with the... Uh, there was one idea of, like, Brock, Keith Lee, Drew as a triple threat. And as a big swerve, you have Keith Lee aligned with the Hurt Business and turn heel to win the title. And that would turn Brock as more of, like, a tweener. And so the heel, and you would have Keith Lee turn the heel all in the same match. So do you think that would work with Keith Lee? Should he be built as a big baby face or... Do you think he would benefit from a heel turn? Uh, I think it depends on what Drew does in the next month or two. Like, I know Keith Lee is a already kind of scratching main event. Like, the fans, like, the hype is there for him. Kind of like how it was when Aleister Black first came on the scene. Unfortunately, with Black and guys like Balor, it didn't really work out right away. Like, they came up, they, they were hot, and then they got either... I remember Finn got injured. He was in the Universal title match, and he got injured. So there was that. I actually forget that Finn is the first ever universal champ, which is hilarious. But um, yeah, another thing too, like I want to talk about Sheamus and no one has talked about him in this light. And I'm saying this right now. He deserves a main event spot. If we're talking about Keith Lee being in the main event, you have to put Sheamus in there because these guys have been in a program together. I wouldn't even be surprised if we saw Sheamus versus Keith Lee at WrestleMania and like maybe... A, a 10 minute opener i don't think that would really hurt either of them but if they want to push keith lee to the moon like right now i think it's the best time right now you could have keith lee versus like let's say for example the week before the royal rumble we see keith lee uh, align himself with the hurt business and let's say he i don't know he comes up short uh in a singles match against maybe drew mcintyre on raw wouldn't it make sense if you're going into the Royal Rumble fresh off a heel turn and you're with a faction, doesn't that make sense that hmm, maybe Keith Lee should win the Royal Rumble? And then not only does that bolster his status, remember what when we saw Keith Lee last year against or two years ago against Brock Lesnar in the Royal Rumble, 
and now you have him take on Drew McIntyre in the main event of WrestleMania, I would not be opposed to that at all. I feel like if he wants to get to that status, Alino, he has to turn heel, not face. Oh, man. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Him, Bobby, Shelton, Cedric, MVP as a mouthpiece. Like, remember what we saw? I think it was, uh, fuck, what, what year? I think it was 2011. It was, remember the Nexus when Punk was just eliminating oh, everybody? Yeah. I feel like we could see that with the Hurt Business this year. With, like, if Keith Lee were to turn heel, he's, like, the first one out there. And, like, he's just kind of, like, he's, uh, what's it called? Like, he's running it. Like, he's running the process. Like, some guy comes out. Then, uh, like, Cedric comes out in the Rumble. Okay, like, let's team up. We're throwing him out. Let's team this guy up. We're throwing him out. So I feel like if that were to happen, not only is it surprising, because right now they're really, they're, they're somehow linked together, but not really in a big way. I think not only would that be unpredictable, but I think that would absolutely make fans go nuts if a guy like Keith Lee were to get like nine eliminations. I think that would absolutely that would that would stun me and I think it would stun all of the WWE universe for sure. Yeah. Would definitely be a nice surprise. Especially last year he came in, even though he wasn't in for a long time. Him and Brock that short like five minutes Strowman came in it was a good showcase for Keith Lee uh after Brock was dominating Keith Lee was like the equal to him so they built him up well and now coming into this year it's gonna be uh a big moment for him to come in like that yeah I don't know like Keith Lee is like the biggest x factor for me like a lot of people say it's Daniel Bryan or AJ Styles I think it's Keith Lee this year. And if it's not Keith Lee, it's a guy that hasn't even been on WWE television for a while. And his name is Seth frickin' Rollins. So I think it's between those two guys. I think those guys are the guys that, when I think of unpredictable outcomes, kind of like with Sheamus in 2012, I feel like these two guys can come out of nowhere and win the Royal Rumble. Oh, yeah. Seth versus Roman at oh WrestleMania. My. That would be perfect. Can you just imagine that? Like a, a face Seth Rollins, like a cringy face Seth. <laughs> like, you know, like, oh, I love the fans, all this. And then you take on a, a badass heel in Roman Reigns. Which one is getting cheered there? Oh, man, probably Roman. Oh, yeah. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> oh, what a time that would be. Just imagine saying that in 2014. Oh, man. Stupid Brock ruined all that. <laughs> he was dominating at that time. Yeah, man, I think that's it for this week's episode. Um, this was me, Chris Martelli, Giancarlo Alino. We talked a little bit about the Raptors' struggles out the gate. Talked about this new Canadian division. Talking about the NHL season. By the way, it starts tomorrow night. And, of course, our build for the Royal Rumble continues. Who's going to win between Randy, the Fiend, and is Drew McIntyre going to take down that old fart, Bill Goldberg? <laughs> Stay tuned next week.